Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. What's up, everybody? My name is Drew. Yo, yo. Hey, everybody. So, this week, we're going to do an episode on She-Hulk. With the new Disney Plus series coming out, we're about to take a gander, but we thought we'd talk about it a little bit for those of you who aren't in the know and who don't really know what to expect from the show and would just to get kind of a a precursor so you know a little something to build a little bit of a foundation of understanding for the character and uh you know for your sakes we decided to take upon ourselves the uh the effort and the work of reading a bunch of she-hulk comics so that we could discuss the character of she-hulk and just her history and what makes her tick drew you got information for the good people at home i have a little bit of background information about she-hulk just for the stat trackers listening, so She-Hulk was created by Stan Lee and John Buscema. Her first appearance was in The Savage She-Hulk number one, which was dated February of 1980. So she's a character that's been around since a few years before we were born, I guess. Funny little tidbit about She-Hulk she was actually the last character Stan Lee created for Marvel until he came back to Marvel in the 90s with Ravage 2099. <laughs> yeah. Can't wait till we see Ravage in the MCU, huh? <laughs> <laughs> he's the uh, deadliest trash collector in comics, man. Yeah, he's a future garbage man. <laughs> uh, that's a heck of an idea, right? Yeah, yeah. It's... it's uh fairly unique i'd even go so far as to say that on its on the face of it on its own it's not a terribly like ridiculous idea like yeah i'd even say it has a potential to be interesting it's just what we got wasn't yeah. interesting <laughs> yeah 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 that, that is true yeah i mean i guess as far as stan lee creations go ravage 2099 still has the upper hand over nightcat uh, or Booberella? Stripperella? Stripperella. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember Nightcat. And like I read that or I listened to that biography on Stanley. So <laughs> I just happened to remember Stripperella because Pamela, Pamela Anderson was connected to the project. Oh, yeah. I think she did the voice in the yeah. cartoon or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, well, going back to She-Hulk, one other fun fact about her and you can read about this online and stuff but she was the thing that precipitated her creation was actually the late 70s slash early 80s incredible hulk tv series the one that starred bill bixby and the wrestler uh i forget his name but the wrestler dude ended up playing uh what is it luke Ferrigno. yeah yeah that's it he ended up yeah. playing the Hulk in his green form, and Bill Bixby was playing uh, Bruce Banner. But Actually, I don't even know if it was... I, I said Luke, but I think it's Lou Ferrigno. Oh, okay. I'll, yeah. yeah, I'll take your word for it. I can't, I, yeah. I can't remember his name without looking it up. Yeah. But yeah, that, that show was pretty popular. I remember even though I grew up in the 90s, or I guess late 80s, early 90s, I, I still remember watching reruns of that on TV. Yeah. So it, yeah. that show did leave an impression on me even as a kid. But that, that show, uh, as it was going on in the late 70s, 
I guess Marvel was concerned that the people who were making the TV show would create a spinoff because that's something that happened with this other popular show at the time called The Bionic Woman. They, mm. I think that show was based on a novel and the show was successful enough. So the people who made that Bionic Woman TV series created a spinoff character called The Six Million Dollar Man. So, you know, they would own the rights as opposed to the author of the original work. So Marvel, Marvel was scared that the TV folks behind the show would create a female version of the Hulk <laughs> and steal their thunder. So they had to yeah. beat them to the punch. Nothing, nothing uh, births ingenuity more than desperation. <laughs> desperation, exactly. A fear of losing out on dollars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently. It's, yeah. It's, it's kind of amazing why they didn't just create a female version of every single character they had in their stable. To be fair, we're kind of in that place now. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. So it, it 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 seems like a funny idea, but uh, you know, living in that present, it's 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 pretty. Is there any palace? I guess. Is there <laughs> any Marvel character that there isn't a female version? Wonder Man. That is a good point. <laughs> 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 I want to see them try to make a Wonder Woman. <laughs> it's like that's that's what they should do for a what if episode. What if Wonder yeah. Man was a woman? Yeah. What if they wouldn't ever Power Man Wonder Woman was a girl? <laughs> right. Uh, I feel like the real world consequences would be basically a story about a lawsuit. <laughs> See, that would be a good legal drama that I would want to see play out. She right, helps right. a lawyer, so kind of got these litigation concepts uh, floating around in our minds after all the comics we read for this yeah. episode. So I, I would totally want to see DC and Marvel uh, go to court against each other. You know, that that's that's my that's my Marvel v DC. <laughs> that's pretty funny. But that'll, I mean, I, I feel like we're kind of in that era of uh, Marvel DC Cold Wars now where the the respective big brothers of each of the companies are are watching all that play out. Uh, but it's nowhere near as interesting. <laughs> but it might be the closest that we ever get to see to a uh, Marvel versus DC standoff, though. Yeah. 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 So you want to go over your personal feelings about the character of She-Hulk are? I've honestly got a good amount of fondness for She-Hulk as a character. She's, uh, I, well, let's see. what. Before I get into that, maybe we should talk a little bit about her uh, fictional history. Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, so She-Hulk, her real name is Jennifer Walters. She's the cousin of Bruce Banner. If you read The Savage She-Hulk, number one, her very first appearance, that's the story that spells out her origin in pretty bland detail. But the the basic idea is that she's a lawyer. Jennifer Walters is a regular lawyer living somewhere on the West Coast, I believe. 
and Bruce Banner, he's on the run from the authorities because that was kind of the concept of the Hulk. At the time, he was just running away from the government. Yeah. And a lot of event- this, his stories were built around that as kind of just a cornerstone of his backstory was just he's always on the run. And that was kind of what the show was about, too, right? <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. being a drifter going from town to town and, uh, you know, using his powers to save the day before he has to move on. He, exactly. he was basically a super drifter. That's uh, a step up from being a super garbage man, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. He was a super-powered drifter slash hobo. <laughs> <laughs> he used to walk around from town to town carrying all of his precious few belongings in a bindle. Yeah, in a super bindle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now I want to see that comic. Like, <laughs> uh, drive the Hulk out of town, will you? <laughs> it would be like a Great Depression era yeah. kind of story. <laughs> He was just hopping from boxcar to boxcar, yeah. sleeping in bales of hay. Tonight, Hulk's Hulk's adversary is a raccoon that he's fighting over leftovers against. <laughs> <laughs> he just smashes the raccoon and eats a yeah. raccoon pancake. Yeah, yeah. Just eats out of the garbage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, so Jennifer Walters is an attorney living on the West Coast. When Bruce Banner, who's on the run, comes to her for assistance, I, I can't remember what the excuse was, even though I read this comic only a few days ago. It was just that forgettable to me, and I didn't take any notes. But he goes to her for help, and for whatever be reason... A long episode, everybody. <laughs> for whatever reason, <laughs> these mobsters uh, sh- take some shots at them while they're uh, traveling in a, in a car... And Jennifer Walters gets hit by some bullets. She needs uh, immediate medical attention. And Bruce Banner is not just the Hulk, but he's Dr. Bruce Banner. So even though he's an expert on gamma radiation and developing weapons for the military, he's also apparently extremely talented at medical stuff. So he, (laughs) he realizes by Jennifer's by seeing Jennifer's wounds, that she needs a blood transfusion. So he <laughs> hooks it up and transfuses his blood into her. You know, he doesn't take her to a hospital or anything. He just finds a room somewhere and has the equipment set up so he can do this because he's a genius. That's an origin that screams, we had to come up with something super quick <laughs> so that the TV executives don't steal this idea from us. <laughs> yeah. uh. Yep. Yeah, so ahead. she gets the blood transfusion and the the mobsters that tried to shoot them earlier come back and try to finish her off. So when that happens, she transforms into the She-Hulk and, you know, she that's... rages out and stomps them. Yep. Yeah, okay. exactly. So it turns out I didn't need to read that first issue. <laughs> you didn't. You weren't yeah. missing anything. <laughs> I guessed it all right then and there. <laughs> <laughs> you'd be, you'd have more thrills reading Ravage 2099 number one. I I assume that that entire origin didn't need to be an issue. It could have all just been on a Bazooka Joe wrapper. Yeah, it could have been one of those Hostess commercials that they used to run in those comics. You know. Right, right, right. <laughs> those one pagers or two pagers. Right. It it might have been funnier. 
Definitely. Yeah. They could have. She could have been shilling for green apple flavored Hostess fruit cakes or something. Yeah. See, and that that definitely would have left a better memory in my in my mind because at least I can associate her with fruit pies. Totally, man. A tasty treat. Mm-hmm. Sorry. But yeah, that was She-Hulk's basic origin. I don't know what they're going to do in the show, but I'm guessing it's still going to have something to involve. It's still going to involve a blood transfusion, presumably, with mm-hmm. the Hulk. Uh, but I mean, yeah, you, you asked show, me... So. What's that? He, is in, he was in the trailer, so it, it's... Yeah. I'm assuming that they're still cousins in the in the in the show's continuity. So, what if they're not cousins and they're actually lovers? Uh, yeah, that. <laughs> I have a bit of a tangent to go on regarding that. <laughs> um, Let's just go on the tangent. Are we about to talk about Old Man Logan? No, no, no. I was gonna save that for later, but. It, oh, okay. It. <laughs> So, uh, okay, funny thing while we're on the subject, um, I, I heard some news recently about Tiny Toons. You remember that cartoon, Tiny Toons? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, apparently they're getting a revamp, and one of the things that is um, a point of contention amongst Tiny Toon fans is the fact that one of the, one of the changes that they made is Babs and Buster Bunny are now not uh unrelated bunnies they're actually going to be twins and apparently there was a bit of i wouldn't i don't know if it was an uproar or whatever but people weren't happy about it because you know from the continuity in the show there was this constant will they won't they sort of uh, romantic tension between the two and, okay i forgot uh, about that yeah so when you watch it now and uh you know well now that they're remaking it for modern art audiences the fact that they're making them related and twins it's like that's kind of weird you know i just heard the death screams of a million fan fiction writers uh it, they might be it might be a good number of fan fiction writers screaming in agony but there's also a chance that there's a good amount of them celebrating in, in <laughs> adulation yes now this was what i wanted reality <laughs> this is everything i wanted because i'm the sick freak <laughs> it's a win for deviants everywhere yeah exactly exactly so there we go <laughs> yeah but anyways, you were saying? I was just going to go back to what you asked earlier uh, about what my general thoughts about She-Hulk as a character were. And I said I was fond of her as a character, even though she has a super lame origin. And admittedly, I've got to say, I can't think of any particularly great She-Hulk stories or even too many great She-Hulk moments mm-hmm. that stand out. I think I just enjoyed her as a concept because she was this fun-loving kind of superhero. I mean, she she has a good look. She's super yeah. strong, got the long flowing green hair, and she's always showing up in these other comics whether it's Avengers or Fantastic 4. Yeah. 
every time they try to do her solo series though i think that's where they kind of lose me Mm -hmm. um -hmm. we'll we'll talk more about the different stories in a bit but i think i enjoy her more in theory and as a concept because she works in a team setting as a heavy hitter and someone who's smart and capable also i guess yeah just fun fun loving and yeah entertaining to like you could just imagine hanging out with somebody like that you know yeah 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 yeah. yeah. Absolutely. so i think i think the concept of the character is really cool it's the execution that's been pretty lacking yeah yeah that's i think those are all very valid uh points that you're making about her um i'd I'd say that my my general thoughts on her aren't too far off um i i will say that in terms of my exposure to her uh as a youth um as a kid i did come across a bunch of she-hulk comics from the john byrne era um so when i was a kid that was you know i've told this story a couple of times on the podcast but my dad would go to uh, flea markets and he'd find boxes of, of comics to, to sell uh, at our at our shop. And, um, you know, I just had access to a bunch of random things. And one of those random things was She-Hulk comics. And I do remember thinking at the time um, as a kid reading them, it was it did feel pretty different from other uh, comics because she was kind of the proto Deadpool in the sense that she would break the fourth wall and she Mm -hmm. there were aspects of her character and personality that were present then that um that was basically what you were mentioning earlier which was she just seemed like a fun like fun loving easygoing person to to observe you know so yeah so even though i can't say that the comics themselves left much of an impact in terms of you know evergreen moments or or stories or 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 anything like that um it left i guess an impact on me in the sense that that idea of she-hulk is generally what i think of when i think of she-hulk in a vacuum you know yeah the John Byrne She-Hulk is the one that comes to your imagination whenever you think of She-Hulk. Yeah, I mean, good or bad, uh, regardless of uh, the quality of those actual comics, that, I guess, easygoing, fun-loving personality um, is is uh, more or less the, the, the version of her that I can imagine, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that's that. That was basically my uh, exposure to She-Hulk as a kid. Do you know I, what I my first we're... She-Hulk comic was when I was a kid? Was that? It, it wasn't a solo comic, but the first real distinct impression I have or memory of She-Hulk I have from reading an actual comic book when I was a kid mm-hmm. was the Infinity Gauntlet. She was oh. one of the heroes <laughs> that went to fight Thanos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> she and Namor. Like Thanos slapped both of them, and then where he touched them, this weird fungus started growing out of their bodies, and then they were yeah. just like killed by the fungus growing. Yeah, out of them. yeah. 
It was the battle where they were all, all the Marvel heroes were ganging up to, to stomp on Thanos, and that was how they they got aced. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty undignified. It, it was super undignified. Yeah, She-Hulk and Namor were supposed to be super strong, and they were played up yeah. as such even within the comic. But then they get taken out by these growths on their body. Yeah, he he touches them. And then they see this little brown stuff growing out of their chest, and and it just consumes them. Yeah, they're they're like furiously trying to rip it out, but they just can't. It just yeah. keeps on growing all over their entire bodies until they're just these statuesque kind of piles of uh, brown just growth. Like, I guess they've just been overtaken by the mold or whatever it was. I always thought yeah. it was like mold or could be mold, cosmic like barnacles or something. Yeah, something like that, right? Just yeah, whatever it was, it was gross. Yeah. Uh, the other, I guess, um, the other things that imprinted me, uh, imprinted on me about She Hulk were, yeah, and I've mentioned this. Uh, I always remembered that her her card was pretty cool because Art Adams drew it. And it was just her standing in front of like a brick wall and, or like a like a crumbled wall or something. And there was some graffiti on it that said She-Hulk. And the way that he drew her was um, she had this like giant hammer on her. And I don't know why, but that, that was there was something about that that always just fascinated me. Like I just wanted to see her just smack people with it. <laughs> <laughs> um in addition to that, uh, I think there was an era where they had the Hulk cartoon, and She-Hulk was one of the characters on that too. So that was another early memory of She-Hulk. But other than that, I didn't really have. Yeah, she she's. I guess I'm like you in the sense that I like the idea of her, but I can't honestly come up with a single comic with her that I've thoroughly enjoyed or that I uphold as, you know, the height of a She-Hulk story or the, the mm-hmm. ideal She-Hulk story. It really so, does feel like for so many years, the appeal of the character was primarily sexy Hulk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess you could argue <laughs> if there's got to be, or not got to be, but if there's something for everybody, then... I guess what's wrong with that, <laughs> but it's on its own, not enough for me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I guess that was enough of a draw when we were like 11 years old. Yeah. You know, sure, you want to sure. see, you want to see this attractive, attractively yeah. drawn green woman in a comic. Yeah. Sure. I loved boobs when I was 11. I love boobs now. So, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> They 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 understood what was at the what the towel of Albert was. You know? <laughs> it was what was one of my guiding founding principles. Yeah, <laughs> like Albert liked boobs. They made a comic directly aimed at you. Yeah, yeah, and uh, there we go. End of podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> yeah, so. Do you have anything else that you wanted to say on the idea of She-Hulk as a character? Or did you want to go into just kind of shoot off the, the different things that we decided to try to read 
in in preparation for the She-Hulk series. In terms of She-Hulk as a concept or as a character, I don't think I have too much more else to say. Maybe things will come up as we discuss the specific comics. So you want to just move on to the comics? Yeah, yeah. I, I think... Okay, I think we it's it's worth saying this right at the front of it, but if I had to be perfectly honest, the things we read really didn't do much for... Well, I won't speak for you, but it certainly didn't do much for me. It didn't do much to 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 leave me a, the adult, grown, critical thinking version of me with really anything that I could use to pinpoint or to find my love of She-Hulk. So I I really don't have that much to say about the the comics that we are going to go over, but I do think that even in not finding anything good to say, I, I do think it still opens up conversation in terms of just discussing why they didn't hit the mark and what exactly we're not feeling. Whatever, what what is exactly it is we're not feeling or seeing uh, out of She-Hulk, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Sure. So, yeah. So, how about how about this? I'll briefly run down the list of the different comics that we've read featuring uh-huh. She-Hulk, specifically uh, for this episode. And then we can just kind of share our thoughts and comments on each of them uh, after uh, I share the list. Yeah, go for it. All right. So there was the Savage She-Hulk number one, which I already talked about a little bit earlier. We read some of John Byrne's Sensational She-Hulk, the first few issues. Uh, We read Dan Slott's She-Hulk, at least the first arc. I think I've, I didn't reread it for this episode, but I've read uh, at least his first like 18 issues or 24 issues of that run in the past. There was also uh, Peter David's She-Hulk, which I also did not reread, but I have uh, read it in the past. I uh, did read, I think we both read, the Charles Soule and Javier Polito She-Hulk, uh, at least the first six issues of that run. Uh, we, I believe we both also read the Marco Tamaki Hulk slash She-Hulk run. That was around like 12 or 16 issues or so. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I read recently, just last night actually, was a, an Avengers story by Jason Aaron called World War She-Hulk. <laughs> so th- those are the stories that feature her that uh, we thought we would at least share some thoughts on. Obviously, she's also been in a ton of other comics we've read because she's been a me- member of the Avengers and Fantastic Four, and just showed up in all sorts of other stuff uh, that we can touch upon later as well. Yeah, yeah. But just going down the list, I guess we can go in approximately chronological order. But I yeah. already shared what I thought about the Savage She-Hulk number one. It's just a product of its time. Mm-hmm, it's not mm-hmm. John Buscema's finest work. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend that one to start off with if you want to read a Stan Lee comic or a John Buscema comic. Yeah. I wouldn't even recommend that if you wanted to read a She-Hulk comic. That's not the one to start with. That's primarily interesting as an object or an artifact of history. Okay. Yeah, I didn't... uh, I'll be honest, I didn't get around to reading that. (laughs) 
yeah. I don't think you would like it. Yeah, and I feel like I I already knew her origin from her trading card, and <laughs> that summary of her origin was more than enough for me to get the gist of what they were trying to communicate. Because everything you described in your reading of that issue was basically in the paragraph on the back of her trading card. So I really yeah. don't feel like I needed to read that comic in order to experience that. Yeah. Then the big one from the 80s was the John Byrne run. He had a series called Sensational She-Hulk. I think that's probably the one where she had the most attention and Byrne did lay a significant amount of the groundwork for her personality and the, I guess, the character traits that would come to define her moving forward. Uh-huh. But in all honesty, I I didn't like it at all yeah yeah it's it's like i said it's probably um a a proto deadpool and if you know what our thoughts on that particular version of deadpool are it wouldn't surprise me if that um that that same feeling transferred over to 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 that she hulk comic uh i mean it it, it doesn't help that I don't like John Byrne either. Yeah, you certainly have a, a distaste for the man that is stronger than anything that I have for him. I don't I think I I'm constantly forgetting what it is about him that you don't like, but I I, I do know that from the like few interviews that I do remember, he's he's just kind of a pompous asshole. Yeah. 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 And uh, well, I guess I'm I'm trying to be wary here because I don't want to say anything that will be on the recording that could get me in legal trouble <laughs> for slander. Are there so, allegations uh, of a certain exactly. sort? <laughs> uh, let's just say if you just go online to his his personal website and read the stuff that he posts in his personal forum where he is yeah. king and surrounded by a bunch of fanboys that just hang on to every word that he says. It's pretty disgusting, the things that he, he does say about people's, yeah. people groups and other people, other creators, and just, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I would say it's not that I just don't like his art and I, the fact that I don't like his writing. I don't like him personally, and I've never yeah. met him. I'm just basing it on everything that I've seen him post in his forum and all the things I've heard him say in interviews. So, yeah. yeah. I, I knew going in that I wasn't going to like Sensational She-Hulk, but I still forced myself to read it, at least the first few issues, just for this podcast. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it, it pretty much just confirmed for me that the things that I really don't like about John Byrne, they're just completely unfettered in Sensational She-Hulk. Because he, I think he probably felt like he had way more freedom to do the kind of things that he wanted to do in that comic, because mm-hmm. it wasn't... You know, it's different when you do a She-Hulk comic versus Fantastic Four or whatever, you know? There are certain limitations with the bigger names that aren't present when you're doing some some character that most people don't really care about. Yeah. And I, I think he, I think John Byrne thought he was a lot wittier and funnier than he actually was. And it just made reading the comics a real groaner and, yeah, uh, yeah just a, a really big chore. <laughs> right. Um 
Yeah, I, I guess I could see that where nothing's worse than, well, no, I, I can think of a lot of worse things, but it does suck <laughs> when you're in a room with a guy who thinks he's super funny and it's just a pain being around that person, you know, whoever it may be, guy, girl, whatever, you know, just anybody who thinks they're funnier than they actually are and cooler than they actually are and just yeah now now i'm just going i'm I'm just getting on the john Byrne bashing train right now <laughs> and, <laughs> and i haven't even read any of the stuff that uh you mentioned but um i thought like you I did said, read some of his issues no i meant the uh in, in terms of the stuff about the man Oh, okay. Not, not okay. His, uh, not his actual comics, but got it. I did read. I did. Okay. Again, moment of transparency. Another moment of transparency. I read um, most of issue one, but when we talked about it, um, you know, in our in our lead up to this episode, and uh, you know, just listening to what you had to say and saying that and hearing that you uh, gave up after a few issues, I think. That gave me a permission structure to not finish it either. Yeah. I was in the middle of reading other things that I did want to read. So I was like, I'm not going to waste my energy on this if he's not even going to finish it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It it was a waste of energy. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll I'll say that the, the one issue that I read, and again, it wasn't even the whole issue. I think I stopped like two or three pages short of actually finishing it. (laughs) <laughs> which is so weird because i i could have at least just finished that issue but i i didn't for whatever reason but yeah i just stopped two or three pages short of finishing the issue and uh that was it <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean just to briefly summarize what the first couple issues of burn sensational she hulk were about it it's a story where the first issue begins with her kind of, uh, I guess, rebuilding or not rebuilding her life, but she's kind of embarking in into a new phase of her career as a superhero. Because I, I believe she had been a part of the Fantastic Four for some time at that point, And now she was rejoining the Avengers. So she moved out uh, into her own place and you know, was figuring out what to do in her, I guess, her civilian life. And what ends up happening is she fights the circus of crime and gets brainwashed by Ringmaster into becoming, I don't even know what you, just, I guess they're lackey. Uh, It it was pretty boring. The plot of it was they would become a traveling circus and... They would get people into the stands to watch the show where the ringmaster or ringleader or whatever he's called would hypnotize them. And then the She-Hulk would lift the stands and shake them until all the money came out. And that was their plan. And they would go from town to town doing that. It's uh, it's pretty stupid. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And the thing is, I don't know if John Byrne was doing that for laughs like i don't know if he intended it to be a comedy it's pretty silly it's but either way it it wasn't funny it was a little bit i think it was a little too dumb maybe do you think that if you were a kid in the 80s you would have found it hilarious 
Um, yeah, probably in the way that like I I, I enjoyed something like Heathcliff or Family Circus or Dennis the Menace or something, where I'm just like, hey, these are just cartoons, like, and 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 I'm just enjoying it just because it's cartoony. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I can't think of anybody who actually thinks Family Circus is funny. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still in papers, I I think. It might even be in some sort of form of syndication or something. I don't know, man. I don't keep up with it. <laughs> yeah. I, I just feel like Family Circus is usually the comic strip that people use as a punchline for jokes when they're making fun of bad comic strips. Personally, I like to use Garfield. I actually like Garfield, so. <laughs> oh my bad. <laughs> yeah. So I've been listening to, to to a lot of Chip Zdarsky talking, and uh, yeah, he he's constantly bagging on Garfield. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know what? I, I I think there are a lot of people who don't have re- any real affinity for Garfield, which is fine, but. I think as a, well, no, I'm not even going to make excuses for it. I read it a lot as a kid and, you know, that's, it's something that when I see it anywhere, I, I, I skim through it just to get a little bit of enjoyment out of it just for the, you know, just for the heck. So whatever. There's there's a nostalgia that comes into play. I, I had my fair share of Garfield collected editions when I was a kid too. I loved those things when I was a kid, man. Like, yeah, I could read those for like hours. You should uh, try and find them and reread them now. See how you feel. Mm, I don't think I have them anymore. The oh, paperbacks okay. and paperbacks just tend to degrade. I might still have mine. Uh, if I come across them, I'll pass them on to you. Sure. They might be vintage collector's items now. Uh, I guess. You could, as read long as it's not... you could read them and then try to sell them to a key collector. As long as it's not the the first like three volumes, I think it, it's three volumes of Garfield, because those early er, those early versions of Garfield, he was rough looking, man. Oh, you didn't like that style? Well, the thing is, the the version of Garfield that oh, man, we're just going off the rails here, but <laughs> the version of Garfield <laughs> that we imagine now, he didn't look anything like that when he first. Well, okay, he he did look like. You know, he had the general. He looked approximately like Garfield. He was in a, yeah. but he wasn't fully formed the way he's the way he exactly looks exactly the past you know thirty yeah. forty years or whatever. Yeah. So that early version of Garfield, he, I think he had something that was closer to like a cat nose, which which had the little like, a uh, three prong shape to it, and he was uh, he was way fatter and just meaner looking, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I wasn't into that version of Garfield. I remember as a kid seeing that for the first time and thinking, this isn't Garfield. What is this? <laughs> I think the version of Garfield that I'm, I am a big fan of is Garfield minus Garfield, where it becomes yeah. this comic strip about the existential dread that John Arbuckle goes through every day of his life. <laughs> He's just talking to himself like a maniac. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty funny. Yeah. I do think... Uh... I don't know. I do think that a lot of the uh, anyways, never mind. Let's let's get off this. I don't want to 
<laughs> yeah, I don't want to keep going. So after after that, uh, John Byrne She-Hulk, uh, I read Dan Slott She-Hulk, and this was something that I don't know. I, f- I feel like it it got some praise or it got recognition. I I don't know. I, like I don't generally listen to the kind of people that would praise or whatever comics. I I don't. I think they're beneath me, quite frankly. So I rarely, I rarely uh, go to the internet for for that sort of uh, uh, affirmation or whatever. Um, but I think for, I I, I might have even heard it from you that Dan Slot She Hulk was well regarded. Uh, Did I tell you that? I, I, maybe is either that or the Charles Soul might have been Charles Soul, but. It's probably to... Charles Soul. Yeah. I don't remember anyone saying that Dan Slott's She-Hulk was something to be celebrated or acclaimed. But I I will say it, I think that's the thing that put him on the map. Okay. Okay. Um That was one of his uh works that preceded his run on uh what do you call it? Spider Man. Amazing Spider Man. Yeah. Yeah. And he ended up doing that for ten years after that. Yeah. So I'm trying to think back to what that Dan Slott story was. Was that the one where... Uh... See, that's the thing. We read so many She-Hulk comics in, in succession that they've all just kind of blurred together for me. So I don't even... I think that was the one where at the beginning of it, she gets fired from the law firm? Or no? Uh, I, don't, I don't remember. I didn't reread it. What I, what I do remember from the series is she joins this law firm... And for the most part, I think they expect her to be in her Jennifer Walters form, even though uh, she likes being yeah. She-Hulk. Right, right, right. You're right. You're right. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, so it's okay. Okay. So it's kind of a bizarre law firm where, uh, at the beginning of of the comic, she's she's going up against them in a court and she thinks she's got them, but they, they eventually beat her in a case because uh, her superhero life uh, affects her, her ability to be in court. And because of that, they argue that, Oh, you know, she's, uh, she's unreliable. And, you know, because of her superheroes, superhero stuff, she's going to basically affect the case just by being there and as a result the case gets thrown out and she loses her job and uh yeah and then she gets taken on by this opposing law firm and what they're working on is basically a law firm that deals with superhero stuff and the the one thing that i do remember like about it was there's this one storyline about how there's in in this in this era of the Marvel universe, there's a prison that Hank Pym has created where all the supervillains are shrunk down by his Pym particles and they're held in this, like a Petri dish or something and, yeah. or, or, or like a little like dollhouse or something. And that's their prison. So the idea is, well, they might be super powered super villains, but if they're tiny, then the harm that they can do is negligible. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I will say that, <laughs> I did get some stupid laughs out of watching She-Hulk beat up a bunch of miniature supervillains. Yeah. That, that made me chuckle. Yeah. Uh, I think at one point she, uh, Tiger Shark is like jumping at her and she just grabs him or no, she just smacks, like flips, like, you know, 
flips her wrist and smacks him into the fish tank. And then she <laughs> picks up Electro and she just drops him in there and they both get like shocked to crap. <laughs> yeah, that was about it. It was it was pretty dumb. Uh, it it was yeah, I, I, I read the first six issues and after that I didn't necessarily feel like I was compelled to read more. I was like, okay, I got my bill of that version of She-Hulk. Yeah, I was actually buying that series monthly when it first came out. Mm-hmm. I forget what year it was, maybe like 2003 or four, perhaps. Yeah. I think what just drew my attention was the Adi Granov cover on issue one. That was, yeah. I think that might've been one of the first times I ever saw his art. Yeah. So I, I just picked that issue up, even though the interior art was totally different. I still thought mm-hmm. it looked pretty good because I, I believe it was, I want to say Juan Bobilo drew it and he had a funny style where he didn't look like, it, it definitely didn't look like what you would see from the typical big two house styles. His His art was like, the way he drew the characters was just kind of funny, funny looking. Like they look kind of like deformed, almost like a like a Seth Fisher kind uh, of uh, style. Wait, are you talking about the interior art? Yeah. Um. Well, it says here it was Greg Horn. No, he's a cover artist. What, uh, are, you, what are you looking at? Greg Horn's that painter. He always paints these like porn oh, star looking covers. Oh. Uh, I was looking at the She-Hulk by Dan Slott from 2004 to 2005. Yeah, you're probably just looking at the credits for the cover. Okay. Yeah, Greg Horn. Remember he did all those, like, Emma Frost covers and stuff? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, That's him. Okay. He he just draws women, you know, in in these really uh, sexual, salacious-looking poses. Yeah. Yeah, okay. so he did some. He did do some of those She-Hulk covers. Adi Granov wasn't doing all the covers, unfortunately. Yeah. But even now, I'm looking at the interiors. I mean, I, I don't know. Seth Fisher's. Uh, I'm not. I'm not saying that the guy draws like Seth Fisher. I'm saying that the funny way that he draws the people and like how weird they are, it reminds me of Seth Fisher. Okay. But I wouldn't yeah, say. Right. I, I wouldn't say that his style is reminiscent of Seth Fisher. I'm just saying. The comparison I'm making is mainly how funny the people look and like yeah. how rubbery their the textures of their faces and bodies are. It's not. Right. It doesn't look like your typical big two jobber stuff. I'm looking at uh, the back cover of the book on Hoopla now, and it, you're right. It's Juan Bobillo, and at I think some of it might be Paul Pelletier. Yeah, so. I think those were the the bad issues because that, yeah. that guy yeah. was pretty much your typical house style. Yeah, he's unimpressive. Mm-hmm. I bought that series monthly as it was coming out. I guess at the time I did think it was amusing and probably bought that entire volume up until the point when they relaunched it as a new number one. I see. Yeah, I mean, reading it now in 2022 as an adult, it's not something that I regretted not reading at the time. I guess I can say that I was always... Maybe there was some part of me way, 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 way in the back of my mind where I was like, well, if I ever get a chance to read it, I might just read it just to satisfy my curiosity. But usually what that means for me is I'm never going to read it. Yeah. But seeing as how we did this podcast, that was my opportunity. And I read the first six issues and I'm probably not going to read anymore. Yeah. I got my measure of it. I wouldn't say you're missing anything because even though I liked it at the time, I was buying it, reading it once a month. That's probably the ideal way to consume that comic, in all honesty, because I remember 
after they relaunched it and I stopped buying it, I reread the entire set of issues that I did have, which was probably, I forget, it was either 12 or 18 issues or something. Mm-hmm. And I reread all those and it, I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would. And I, yeah. I hung on to those issues for a couple more years. And then I think maybe, I want to say like 12 or 15 years ago, I reread them all at once again, binged them all. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was like, yeah, I don't think I need to keep this in my collection. So I forgot what I did with them. I either sold them or just gave them away to somebody. You turned them into paper airplanes? I definitely <laughs> didn't do that. <laughs> okay. I guess okay. if I had hung on to them, I'd have some key issues that I could sell to a sucker now that the TV show is coming out. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but yeah, unfortunately, yeah. I ain't got them anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, you could have made some money, but instead you cleared up some space, and that's worth something. <laughs> I guess it is. I think there yeah. was one. I remember one joke from that run. I I don't remember if it was in the early issues that you read, but I want to say there was a story where uh, J. Jonah Jameson took Spider-Man to court. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, it wasn't that story. That okay. Made, that was something that made me laugh out loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't remember why you took him to court. You do you remember? So, you want to like yeah, share that story? Yeah, yeah. So She Hulk basically in in her new role decides uh, uh, with this law firm she decides to look for cases in the superhero community that she can use to like bolster her profile. So she goes to Spider Man and she says that hey. This is a big case. We can take this as an opportunity to like give you some good publicity and to clear your name. You can sue J. Jonah Jameson for defamation, basically. <laughs> you know? So they end up going to court and uh Spider-Man shows up in his costume and you know, it's it's a thing where it opens up a whole bunch of questions because they're like how how does Spider-Man go on the stand? without revealing his true identity how do they get around that and it's just stuff that they just kind of you know wave they just kind of wave away uh and by saying you know do you know anybody else who can do this blah 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 and it's it's you know it's suspension of disbelief in order for the premise of the story to work right okay fine whatever so they're in court and they're talking about all the different times that J. Jonah Jameson has gone after Spider-Man, all the different articles that he's written, like the the, the extreme links that he's gone to to ruin Spider-Man's life. And at one point, they're just like, so, Spider-Man, why exactly do you think J. Jonah Jameson has it out for you? Why do you think he hates you so much? And Spider-Man's just kind of sitting there. And like, it's it's pretty good comedic timing. It does it, I think, within like the space of like three panels. And he goes... Well, the thing of it is, and, you know, there's a bit of a brief pause and he goes, I think he hates me because, because I'm black. (laughs) (laughs) And Jay Jonah Jameson is just like, wait, what? If I had known? No, of course not. (laughs) You know, he's just kind of. uh, Doesn't he say something like, some of my best friends are black? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just kind of uh, bloviates and blusters while, while he tries to come up with a reason. But yeah, it's 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 a funny little moment. Um, but the the entire case gets thrown out because eventually Peter Parker gets 
mixed up in it because the the people who are suing J. Jonah Jameson also decide to go up go against Peter Parker because he was the one providing the pictures. <laughs> so, you know, so Spider Man says, Okay, I wanna settle. I don't wanna go through with this because if you know, because if Peter Parker gets sued, he's getting sued. So what's he gonna do, right? Yeah. So, so that's basically how the story ends. Pretty amusing. That, yeah. that might be the highlight of the run for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's. I, I I guess out of all the She Hulk stuff that I read, that was that was fine. Yeah. Nothing essential, but. Yeah. If you wanted to read one She Hulk comic a month, I guess that could fit the bill sort of functions like a monthly slice of life kind of superhero comic. Yeah. Well, we, we can talk about that more after we discuss the rest of the comics, but I, I, I do have some thoughts on that. Um, yeah. Uh, next up, we have uh, Peter David, She-Hulk. I, I, I didn't read this one, so you're, you're, I'm going to defer to you on this, and maybe you can fill us in on uh, some of the details. Oh, no, there's nothing really to fill in. I I thought you might have uh, picked it up after uh, reading Slot's run because it came right after. Oh. Uh, it's been way too long since I read it, but I sometimes get the stuff he did confused with what the stuff Dan Slot did. So uh-huh. I don't really think if you don't if you didn't like Dan Slot's She-Hulk, I don't think there's any real reason to pick up Peter David's She-Hulk either because it's kind of along the same lines. And I don't remember the art being particularly good. There might have been like a story involving Hawkeye riding his, you know how he had that kind of like flying motorcycle thing that was sort of like a horse. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think there was a story involving that and time travel or something. Oh. Uh, yeah, it, it wasn't a comic that that stood out very much. It's pretty much similar in tone to dance lot stuff. Yeah, I wouldn't seek it out either. Yeah, I, I will say that. I prob no, I, I have more respect for Peter David than Dan Slott. Uh his Captain Marvel was good at least. So yeah. that. Um, well actually I I did I just remembered another funny Dan Slott She Hulk story. But he yeah. he did a story where later on in his run where Star Fox, the brother of Thanos, uh comes back into the picture and She Hulk I I think well, I, I'm getting the details fuzzy because it, it's been so long since I read it. But essentially, it's a story about him being a sexual harasser. Because <laughs> his power is his charm, where he talks yeah. to talks to people, uh, specifically women, and can seduce them or influence them. So there was an incident in the past in old Avengers comics, actually, where Star Fox and She-Hulk had a thing going on. And... You know, because he, because they were together for a period of time. Uh, once She-Hulk realized how his powers worked, she realized that he could have been, you know, using his powers to take advantage of her, as well as right. other women that he's been with, <laughs> other Marvel characters. So there was a whole story about that. <laughs> it was, it was a bizarre idea. I wonder uh, yeah. if something like that would uh, draw more attention in today's age 
but even at the time it, it was it was just so unexpected and yet logical that I, I couldn't help but think it was pretty amusing yeah it feels like <laughs> you're right when you say that it's it's a logical story just based on the very nature of his powers but i also feel like it's something that you have to tiptoe around because once you open that door there's a lot of ways that that story can go wrong <laughs> you know yeah yeah it's just it's a hard story to tell like you if you go the Thanos wrong way Thanos was a mass murderer who killed half the universe but his brother man he's a serial rapist yeah, yeah, right. And like, if you tell the story the wrong way, it just looks like you're excusing it. Then, yeah. Then how do you have that conversation? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, better not to. Better not. Yeah. To. If I find that comic in a quarter bin, maybe I'll pull it out because I I can't remember how it ends. Yeah. Well, I guess the he okay. The only way that it could possibly end for it to work is they have to come up with some sort of proof that he hadn't used his powers on her right there mm -hmm. has to be it has to there has to be something showing that he's not a gross creep and that whatever feelings the two of them had during their time together was was a genuine uh relationship because anything else would just be, yeah, I mean, he's essentially a rapist. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, after that, we got the Charles Soule run. Um, I just read the first six issues of that. and Same here. Uh, yeah. Javier Polito did the, the first four issues. And, you know, it was, it was really great art. I really liked the art on it. I thought that... Uh, I think at the time of my reading of those first four issues, I was commenting to Drew and I basically said, oh, you know what? If it continues on this track, it could be a fun, like, slice of life She-Hulk story that I'd actually be okay with as long as they don't have, you know, some sort of big villain she has to fight or some sort of big threat. If it's just about her day-to-day -day, day -day life running this law firm, I'd be fine with that, right? But yeah. Quite honestly, once I got past the Javier Polito art, um, I got, I got to the issues five and six had a different artist. Yeah, issues five and six had a different artist, and those were substantially more forgettable. So, one could say that Javier Polito's art did to me what Eros presumably did to She-Hulk. He seduced you into believing that Star Charles Soul was sexy. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Star Fox. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty much with you on that. I was, I was stunned at how much I tolerated that comic because yeah. I really don't like Charles Soule's comics. I read a bunch of his other work for hire stuff, and I've never enjoyed any of it. So the fact that I read one that had great art, and his words didn't prevent me from enjoying the art, like I was yeah. pretty blown away at what he was able to accomplish there. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, for those of you listening, if you guys are into Charles Soule's work, he's writing, I believe he's writing 8 Billion Genies. It's a story about what would happen if every person on Earth got their own genie. Because, you know, 
that's a great idea. But you don't like not. that high concept? I don't. I really don't. <laughs> uh, I, f- I feel like I've been hearing people. I feel like it's it. been, yeah, I was going to say, I feel like it's been getting a lot of uh, attention lately. Yeah, that's why it I got a lot. It. <laughs> it got a lot of praise. And on top of that, uh, the speculators ended up grabbing the first issue in droves. Yeah. So it's got it's got that heat behind it as well. Yeah, so I bet Charles Soule feels pretty good about himself right now. I yeah, yeah. He's walking around with 10-pound balls. Just, you he's know. He's got the heady feeling of success fueling yeah. him. and He's untouchable. Yeah. Yeah. I did, from what I remember, uh, I believe Charles Soule has a background as a lawyer. Yeah, yeah. I I did not know that until you mentioned it. Um. Because he's he's also written Daredevil, the other famous Marvel lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now that you brought it up, now I I feel like I have to ask: Is there a famous DC lawyer? Whew, that's Do they a have good anyone question. On par with She-Hulk or Daredevil? I gotta think a second, man. You put me on the spot. I don't think there is. There's Manhunter. Is he a lawyer? Oh, I'm talking about the female one. Oh, is she a lawyer? <laughs> yeah, dude, I forgot her name though. <laughs> oh. Uh... But I know she's a lawyer because uh, that run that Mark and Draco did back in like the early 2000s or mid 2000s, like, yeah. that was a big part of her her story. Okay. Okay. Shoot, so now they I gotta... at least got one. Now I have to look it up. Kate Spencer, that's her name. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah. I, I want to say, in terms of being a lawyer, uh, like that was a big part of her series. But as far as what she did in the wider DC universe, I think there was a story where she defended Wonder Woman when Wonder Woman was accused of murder. Huh. Is this that uh, that uh, Infinite Crisis thing or whatever? Um where she broke what's-his-name's neck. Maxwell Lord, and the yeah. entire world saw the video of her breaking the dude's neck. Was that was that the case? Or it might have been, dude. I, I really can't remember. Murder. That, that's something you got to Google, man. Because Wonder Woman apparently just goes around murdering indiscriminately. <laughs> 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 just uh, Everybody thought she was a superhero, but turns out she's just a serial killer. <laughs> She's not even a real Amazon. She's just a lady who's like obsessed with Greek culture. <laughs> <laughs> That's her gimmick. Yeah. Her, her serial killer gimmick. <laughs> All these years we've been we've been idolizing you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. Uh, the yeah. So the again this this is something that got me pretty confused with the Dan Slot run because it starts out with her like leaving her firm and then whatever firm that she's with and then striking out on her own to open her own firm. So it feels like whenever someone wants to give her like, you know, uh, a new direction to go in, that's that's the route that they go, which is, oh, she's going to open up her own firm. She's yep. Allie McBeal, but green, you know? Yep. She's either and- going to open up her own law firm or she's going to start working at another law firm so 
whatever yeah. however you want to slice it it's always about her getting a new job somewhere as a lawyer like, yeah exactly and you know some variation of playing with the idea that oh she's gonna deal with we're gonna find a way to inject the superheroics of the marvel universe into these legal dramas and yeah i, I it's it's definitely an angle uh that isn't explored too often in comics like we just mentioned just here uh it isn't explored too much in comics but it's always explored with she hulk yeah yeah uh maybe daredevil but daredevil still has more variety yeah i I guess it feels like with daredevil it feels like he's a superhero first lawyer second with she hulk it always feels like she's a lawyer first superhero second at least in, in these stories that people try to do for her you know yeah and i also think that with daredevil it feels like the way that most of his stories are written and the way that we've traditionally viewed him over the decades is that there's always this fascinating tension in in the character because he's a lawyer who breaks the law repeatedly yeah but either either way whether he's operating as a vigilante or operating as a lawyer, he's still seeking justice above all. And that's kind of the thing that uh, gives his stories that added dimension. Whereas with She-Hulk, yeah, I mean, you're not going to say she doesn't care about justice because she's a yeah. hero, but it's never I've never really seen it be emphasized. It's It's always just the more lighthearted or zany or wacky aspects. It's I guess now that I'm saying it out loud, it, it almost feels kind of insulting because to lawyers or to her, to her, it, okay. it's kind of insulting to her to, to treat her in a way where daredevil stories can be lighthearted, but they can also be serious. Right. Yeah. And we've seen plenty of serious daredevil stories that do involve both aspects of his life as a vigilante and as a lawyer mm. with She-Hulk, it kind of feels like most of her stories, her solo stories, they're gags. They're exactly, they're just jokes. Yeah. Like you can't they're really take them, gaggy. You can't take them super seriously because there's yeah. always some, you know, some level of irony to them or just yeah. uh, conscious self-awareness where as a reader, you know that the creators are winking at you and they're telling you, isn't this aren't we having fun or isn't this so amusing or just trying to hit you on the head with jokes and stuff it's yeah i don't know it's not the way that they do those stories with daredevil yeah i mean there are daredevil stories where they do get jokey but i think it's balanced out by the fact that he does have plenty of serious stories too yeah, I'd say the majority of his legal dramas tend to be that dramas, whereas uh, with her, you're right, they they do tend to be more jokey. A lot of uh, the, at least from the stories that I read, it, it a lot of the times it feels like it feels like a superhero version of a powerful young woman, uh, you know, in the big city trying to do, you know, trying to make it in her career, but also she's a superhero, you know, that, that, that kind of 
trope of uh you know her trying to balance a relationship her job and on top of that her superheroics you know yeah and maybe i guess yeah. it- I guess when you make it like sound like that, I, I think there's even a way sexist. where you could. It is sexist, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, that that, yeah. that sounds sexist. Yeah, because it, like, exactly. Why does Daredevil get to do a uh, uh, a crime drama story where he goes up against a mob a mobster who's gonna, you know, buy his way out of this uh, this legal proceeding or buy off a jury? Um, to go back to a life of crime, you know, real gritty, high stakes stuff. Whereas She-Hulk doesn't get that at all. Like her, all her cases seem to be goofy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, just a delivery device for subpar jokes. Yeah. So I think in discussing this with you, uh, we, we might've hit, hit it right on the head. <laughs> what it is about her, uh her series that just seem to miss the mark every time yeah yeah i think so that's interesting because we didn't write that down in our notes or think about it in terms of our preparation this is an organic moment yeah yeah well i mean we did have something further down about uh why did the comics just you know fail to hit the mark and i i guess we could go back to the other comics that we read, but I, I, I do think that this is uh, an interesting thread to pull on since we're here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I was gonna, one of the things that I was pondering when uh, trying to come up with thoughts on uh, She-Hulk was, why is it that we don't see too many legal dramas play out in comics? Like how many, legal dramas like it's not necessarily a genre that jumps out as me jumps out to me as something that works well in comics all the time because a lot of legal dramas revolve around talking heads and uh building up suspension with words whereas you know suspense marvel suspense what did i say suspension yeah oh sorry you just made me think of a bridge Okay. Yeah, it's building up a bridge with words. Um, <laughs> but, you know, um, but, uh, yeah, with a lot of uh, Marvel comics, there's, uh, I guess this is the theme from a lot of our, our Marvel uh, analysis uh, that we've been bringing up lately in the shows is that the impulse to put the superheroics in tends to deviate from what could make it an interesting topic or show, right? So, right. Or, or comic. So in this case, we're seeing that play out in a comic where, I mean, it. I, I think what we were talking about earlier has more to do with it because you're right, this element of her not getting these serious cases might be a big part of why the cases that we see her working on aren't ever cases that are, very compelling or interesting so maybe it's not just that it's hard to do a legal comic in uh in the marvel universe but it might be that it's hard to do a good legal drama comic 
in a She-Hulk comic because so much of the other writers have focused on making her a joke. Yeah. That is an epiphany, man. Yeah. That is an epiphany. Because with yeah. Daredevil, a lot of the times when we have those stories where there's an emphasis on the legal elements or the legal drama of his stories. Stakes are high, man. Stakes are high. And the way that it plays out is typically like a morality play where there's some kind of thematic twist that reflects what he did as daredevil, uh, you know, in the courtroom, you know, like some kind of, some kind of dramatic irony that plays out where it, it adds to the tone and the, the poetry of the whole story. Yeah, and that's just I can't, I just don't ever see that present in yeah. She-Hulk comics. <clears throat> I can't apply the word poetry to She-Hulk at all. You know, it it just doesn't it doesn't it doesn't fit with whatever mood that they're trying to apply to to any She-Hulk story. So mm-hmm. I, I would happen to agree with you that. Um, it's it's a disservice to the character, you know? Like, if she's supposed to be one of the premier lawyers, lawyer superheroes in the Marvel Universe, why are, why are all her cases always played for gags? So, yeah. Yeah, especially a, in her solo stories. Yeah, yeah. I think there... there I think there have been times in other books where her skill as a lawyer comes into play but it's never really the focus of the story yeah but i'm thinking specifically the example that comes to mind was when uh jeff johns wrote avengers and in his first story it was something happens where a bunch of the leaders of the world get captured by this extra dimensional force and the avengers are asked to become the leaders of the world to help them through this worldwide crisis. Yeah. So the Avengers take on this duty at the behest of the United Nations and She-Hulk with her training as a lawyer, she's studying up on all these books and there's like a scene of her, uh, you know, just using her strength to carry a bunch of law textbooks or just books in general that will help Mm. educate her on the situation and how to deal with all these international issues yeah so it you know like it's acknowledged in that scene as kind of like a almost a throwaway moment or maybe not throwaway but just it's just a background detail that adds a little bit more flavor to the story mm-hmm. maybe it's something where if you think about it logically it kind of falls apart because how realistic is it for even the most trained american lawyer to quickly master international law during yeah. the midst of a crisis but yeah. at least i'll take that lip service you know like it, it still shows that she's got skills as a lawyer and yeah. she has something to offer the team besides just the super strength to pound people yeah i do remember one of the other stories that uh ended up playing out and i don't uh remember it super well but i want to say this was in the charles soul story um no, oh, maybe no, maybe it was the dance lot. Uh, like I said, I get them both confused. But um, one of the stories was about how there was a guy who I think he worked for Roxxon or something, and uh, as a result of 
uh, an accident at the company, he ends up getting these superpowers. And so the thing about it is uh, he, because of the way that the superpowers affect him and change his life, it pretty much ruins his ability to live a normal life. So he wants to sue Roxanne for it. And it's about She-Hulk trying to formulate some sort of legal plan for her to help this guy put his life back together, uh, mm-hmm. you know, against this big corporation. And that was probably the closest that I can think of to like a serious case she did in what I, in, in the few She-Hulk comics that I read in preparation for this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and and that wasn't something that was played for laughs as much as it was the this drama idea. Drama. It, it was a drama, and it was also this thing that was played as, yeah. Uh, so so I think I want to say it's. I'm looking through it right now. I want to say this is the yeah. It's it's the Dan Slot story, and a a large. One of the themes of the Dan Slot She Hulk run was that, in working for this super this law firm that focuses solely on superhero cases, they didn't want her as She-Hulk. They wanted Jennifer Walters as a lawyer. You know, that was that was the thing that they were uh, most interested in about her. So mm-hmm. it was in helping this guy out that she found it in her uh, the ability to help someone without resorting to punching people in the face mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that that story is familiar to you at all but i don't really remember it, it yeah thinking about it now that that's how it plays out i'm i'm looking at the scene right here and uh essentially i, I want to say that the way that she solved the case was by making the case that when he uh, I don't, you know what? I'm not even going to go into it. <laughs> like, I don't, it, it, it had something to do with the fact that the moment that he fell into that uh, uh, vat of goo or whatever, he, his old life ceased to exist. And because he, he's this new being now, uh, they, that now he's this new being, Roxon should pay out his insurance because that person that he was no longer exists. And that's how she solved her case. I think that's that was the logic she used. So, okay. so I guess there was an attempt to do a serious She-Hulk story in that Dan Slot run, uh, but still, overall, I don't know. I don't know, man. I guess it's still the overall tone, huh? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's it's hard to do uh, a good lawyer story and apparently it's hard to do a good she-hulk story yeah next up there's also mariko tamaki's hulk slash she-hulk you read that i read that one a long time ago it's not quite as fresh to me but you know if you've uh, got any thoughts on it by all means i mean i'll be honest here it wasn't yeah. super memorable to me either it's uh-huh. a shame because it's i think it might have been the first time when she-hulk was written by a woman uh-huh but I felt like even this fell along the same lines as the other comics we read where it wasn't the tone that we were just describing, you know, like the, the tone is more along the lines of what we had been reading all these other 
kind of lighthearted, less serious stories where it's, again, it starts with her finding a new job, starting at a new law firm. Mm. And then later on in the in the run, she ends up going on her, her own way. Yeah. And she leaves the place where she starts the series. Um, but I guess I just wasn't super invested in any of the adventures that she engaged in. Mm-hmm. Like there's this whole story where she was dealing with this YouTuber that she was following who had his own baking YouTube channel. He ended up ingesting some kind of some kind of drugs or something that transformed him into a literal monster. And uh-huh. she ended up, you know, trying to chase him and talk him down because he was losing his mind now that he has physically transformed into this ugly kind of abomination like creature. Yeah. So I don't know. Again, that, that was a story that fell flat to me because you have her trying to talk him down out of like hating himself for becoming a monster and like in all honesty she's not a monster so like for her to try and explain that she knows what it's like and everything i mean even at those moments when she was in her savage form like it feels like that's so temporary that everything she had to say was so meaningless you know Mm. like maybe maybe she's experienced the idea of being a monster hunted by the government uh during those times when she reverted to a savage form but Mm. for the most part most of her stories and most of her life she's just this really attractive big green woman yeah 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 who had you know complete control of her own intellect and mind and stuff so uh you know that yeah I, i guess that story in particular stands out as something i thought was pretty flimsy uh one thing i did like about the marco tamaki run was how she had uh i guess it was also something that charles soul had introduced but uh tamaki carried it on but the friendship that jennifer walters had with hellcat i think that's Mm -hmm. something that's probably pretty necessary for a book like this you don't want her just to have no friends or supporting cast or the only people where she the only people she interacts with uh, would be her coworkers at the law firm or anything. It's nice to see that she has another friend out there. Yeah. So that that makes sense to me. Um, but yeah, the run overall was pretty forgettable. I think I think I read it about two weeks ago, and I told you at the time that there's a good chance that in a week I would forget most of what I read. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's that held true. To be the case. Yeah. Yeah. I do. Yeah, one yeah. thing I do remember, though, is that this run does that thing that a lot of Marvel comics of the modern era do, where you have just a ton of pencilers uh, within a small time frame. And I, I think that that's a really big pain. Like yeah. most of the art isn't very good. It's it's all just, you know, really standard, typical house style kind of art. Nothing stands out. Uh, and the fact that there are so many artists on the series it just makes it it's not even fun to look at you know yeah yeah like i would i would rather have four issues of javier polito than 17 issues of all of this yeah yeah but yeah marco tamaki's run starts out with a series where it's just called hulk because 
that was in that's... the era where she was the, assuming the role of the the Hulk because I think Bruce Banner was dead. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Because he was dead forever and would never come back, but Marvel needed to keep the trademark alive. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. So it was launched under the Marvel Now imprint as Hulk, and then after a few months of that, they relaunched it again with the new number one and called it She-Hulk. But it's it's all pretty much one run. Right. Yeah. Unlike you, I read it a few years ago, and like you, I, I don't really remember much of anything about it. So yeah, uh, I, I didn't. I don't think it's it. very good. Yeah. So the last uh, comic that we have here was uh, Jason Aaron's Avengers World War She-Hulk. Yeah. That's something I haven't read yet because I'm currently collecting Jason Aaron's uh, Avengers run and it's incomplete. I haven't gotten to that point. So it's... uh, It's it's incomplete because you're collecting it in quarter bins. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that slows you down. If you were just buying it off the racks, then you'd have it all. Exactly, exactly. But you ain't no Trump, man. You ain't paying no four bucks for a comic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Part of part of what we do, we do because there is a sense of achievement and satisfaction we get from finding all these comics for a discounted rate. Mm-hmm. It's something to give my life meaning in a, in a relatively meaningless existence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I ended up borrowing this one from the library because I've been reading from the beginning of his Avengers run again, just using the library. So one of the most recent arcs he did was a story called world war. She Hulk. Obviously this is not a solo story, but to be honest, man, I think I enjoyed this more than just about any of the other comics that we read. Mm. I think the only thing that, that might top it would be those four Javier Polito issues. But as far as just the reading experience goes, World War She-Hulk was entertaining. I, I won't say it's a great story. It's not Jason Aaron's best. It's not one of the best Avenger stories. Heck, it's not even like a particularly outstanding She-Hulk story. It's just that the story title has She-Hulk in the name. And <laughs> and she is, I guess, the focal point of the action. Yeah, yeah. But this is not a story that I would recommend to people who wanted to read a She-Hulk story because this is way too mired in Jason Aaron's overall Avengers run. Because mm-hmm. these issues cover, I want to say, I believe like 46 to 50, or maybe it was like 45 to 50. It's all steeped into the things that he's been doing with all his subplots and ongoing storylines. So you have all sorts of things that are not going to stand the test of time. You know, like if you, if you, wanted to read this isolated from the rest of his run five years from now, you're going to be scratching your head because there's all these references to things like Dracula is running a vampire nation in the ruins of Chernobyl. <laughs> and, and then you, you have like the main crux of the, of this story is uh, the Russian winter guard, their version of uh, the Avengers their task to capture they kidnap and capture She-Hulk from the Avengers Mountain, which is their headquarters, based inside the hollowed out corpse of a celestial. <laughs> so they they capture her, they take her to some red room kind of looking dungeon, 
and try to brainwash yeah. her. There's a the female Black Widow. I forget her name. The Mother Widow or something. I forget where she was introduced to. But she she basically brainwashes the She-Hulk into becoming the Winter Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> and she just looks like a red Hulk, a red She-Hulk. And right. is forced to do their bidding. They send her after Namor, who's at this point leading uh, a, a devastated nation of Atlantis. So, you know, there's just a whole ton of stuff. You know, you got Blade in there. He's he's the sheriff of Chernobyl, where all the vampires are. The Russians have an alliance with the vampires. So they're they're drinking She-Hulk's blood to, to capture the essence of her gamma irradiation to give to Dracula. <laughs> you know, it's like... They've become an army of vampire hulks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There, there's all sorts of comic book nonsense yeah. going on in the story, but at the very I least, gonna, yeah. the the action is entertaining. The art's yeah. decently solid, and it's just mindless smash em, bash em superhero cape comics. That's all it is. Yeah. I was going to say, just from that description, it sounds like either Jason Aaron was just having a lot of fun without a care in the world or he was just experiencing hallucinations and fever dreams from an abundance of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> I can't decide which, which it was, but it sounds all kinds of crazy. It's super crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Javier Garon drew most of those issues and he's a pretty good artist. So I, I like, I, I liked it, man. It it was definitely more fun to read this comic than everything else, except for maybe the Javier Polito story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, now that we've kind of gone over everything that we read in preparation for this episode, uh, we, we, we did go over it a little bit where we were talking about, I guess, what the failings of it are. And, you know, having that moment of enlightenment does changed the conversation a little for me um but but i still think there there are things still worth discussing about it you know um i have a question yeah sure sure. what are your feelings on other comics that she hulk appears in where she's not necessarily a main character but just part of the ensemble like in a team book when she was on fantastic four or the avengers or what have you like were there any other comics that you've read over the decades in your comic book history that had She-Hulk in them, which you enjoyed? Well, that's the thing. I, I'd i probably say that outside of the Avengers, the, the one team that I associate her with the most uh, is the Fantastic Four. But even then, I don't think, I don't think, I think for me personally, the Fantastic Four for me has always been just the 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 four core group and maybe the kids if if you're gonna consider them right but the kids count as people no uh but but uh yeah like i i just it, it it's always just felt like at the core of the fantastic four it's about a family of superheroes so i'm i'm always more interested in them and their family dynamics and maybe you could look at she hulk as the, the crazy neighbor lady or something like that 
like I don't know if she necessarily fulfills any actual role as you know within that quote unquote family dynamic, but yeah, like I don't I think I've got less affection for for that than you do. Um, you, you mentioned earlier at the top of the podcast that you're more into the idea of her as a concept and you enjoy seeing her in other books. But I think for me, I'd, I'd probably take the opposite track, which is I don't think I'm like a huge She-Hulk she fan by any means, but I think I do still believe in the idea of She-Hulk and want to see something, you know, like I'd like to, I'd like to believe that somewhere out there someday there's someone who's going to write the the evergreen she-hulk story and i just i don't know what it is i don't know what it looks like but when it when it happens when i see it it's going to be the thing that makes me like that renews my faith in she-hulk you're 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 waiting for she-hulk's dark knight returns yeah basically dang that is that is ambitious yeah but to be fair, I think I take that track with most super characters. Uh, I think, I guess it's optimistic of me to say that, you know, every character has the potential for a good story. And uh, that's, that's where I hang my hopes. But Every character, Albert? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm probably gonna regret saying the that, but in a vacuum, there's got to be some way to redeem even someone like Venom or Carnage or Spawn, or so. What if Null has his own Dark Knight Returns comic? Would you read that? I'll tell you what. If Alan Moore ever writes a null story <laughs> that combines uh like Eldritch horror uh with a lot less rape, sure, I'm for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I if if he writes it, I'll 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 I I have faith that he can do something interesting with it. If Alan Moore decided to come back and work for Marvel and write a <laughs> Null comic, it would be like the Necronomicon or Neonomicon. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's the only way that he works, right? He's kind of a <laughs> Cthulhu, eldritch horror sort of... Uh, what kind of horror is that? Uh, yeah. I think yeah. that's the proper description. Yeah, so that's... I'm pretty sure that's what Donny Cates was going for, but in a way lamer way. <laughs> yeah, I feel like yeah. Donny Cates filtered the Neonomicon through the Olymp Bizkit filter, you know? Oh, man, that sounds terrible, but yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, just something really loud, yeah. obnoxious, screaming for something to break. Yeah, shut up shut your face shut shut up um <laughs> what's that line <laughs> from uh limp lincoln park <laughs> man uh, I don't lincoln remember. park's better than limp biscuit oh yeah by far by far, by far. <laughs> i just always think of that line because it's a funny line <laughs> shut up when i'm talking to you yeah yeah yeah. there we go <laughs> uh 
Uh, yeah. I think the Limp Biscuit line you were reaching for was the one that goes something like, give me something a break. How about your effing face? <laughs> oh, Limp Biscuit, Fred, Fredwell Maxwell Durst. You, you are truly a poet of our age <laughs> <laughs> to come up with such words. <clears throat> but yeah. So I got to ask, we, we brought it up a little earlier. Like what's, I'm curious what your thoughts are on legal dramas and comics. Like, have has, is that a genre you've ever been into? In comics, specifically well, comics. Well, let's 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 start broad. Let's start broad and then uh, funnel in towards the more specific. But what what are your thoughts on legal dramas as a whole? I don't think I've ever really followed one closely enough to be able to say I liked something or I'm a fan of that or that I enjoyed this. I think there have been some on TV over the years that I've probably tuned into a little bit. Really? But not ever to the extent where I followed it, you know? But yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, like, watch bits and pieces of it here and there when it was on TV and I came across it. Yeah. Like, when we were younger, there was Ally McBeal, mm-hmm. The Practice, yeah. Boston Legal... I feel like there's something I'm forgetting that was also kind of famous, but Isn't those Law are the three. Order one of those shows. Is or, Law and Order? Or is that more like a? Cop I thought that show? was a crime show. Oh, maybe it is. I don't know. They're they all kind of just blur together to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so like those were shows that I didn't follow ever, and I couldn't even tell you like what the premise is or. What sets them? What makes them different from each other? I just remember yeah. that they were legal dramas, and there was a period of time in college when one of my roommates was pretty into those kinds of stories, and he ended up becoming a lawyer after undergrad. But I see, I see. Um, you know, sometimes I would be in the room with him while while he was watching, so I would just catch it uh, that way. But I never followed it. Yeah. I guess it gave me a little sense of the pacing or the rhythms of a legal drama on television. Yeah. Just nothing that ever really captured me to that point. In fact, I'd probably say I was more into watching. <laughs> I don't know what it. you're going to think about this. I think I, I know what more... you're going to say, but <laughs> I want to hear it. Okay. Yeah. I was more you want into me watching... to try to guess it? <laughs> yeah. You want to try to guess? Okay. Were you going to say the OJ trial? <laughs> <laughs> Was that what you were gonna say? That wasn't what I was gonna say, but that's a oh, uh, that, so that's pretty that's fairly close, man. Like okay, okay. there's there's definitely been times when I've gone back uh, as an adult to go on YouTube and and looked up clips from the OJ trial. Okay, okay. What were you gonna say? Now I'm now I'm really curious. I thought that's where you were gonna go, but I, I was gonna say Judge Judy. Oh, and Judge Joe Brown. I would have had more respect for you if you had said that you were watching the OJ trial. <laughs> i mean that was that was like a limited series man they didn't show yeah. that on tv every day it was only like during specific specific uh era we're still trying to catch the killers Drew. <laughs> <laughs> there's no ending to that series <laughs> um yeah it's it's interesting that you're wow judge judy really huh. i never took you as a judge judy person yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Don't take that as an endorsement of Judge Judy. 
yeah. I'm not I'm not calling myself a Judge Judy fan by any means. Yeah. But I I think I think the reason why I watched it well okay well number one the, the reason <laughs> the main reason why I watched it was because uh, my dad was really into it so like there'd uh-huh. be times when when I was younger and I would come home and catch him watching it so I would just sit there and watch it with him but then uh even even outside of that I think the reason why I was able to sit down and sit through an, a whole episode of it was not necessarily because of Judge Judy herself, but mainly yeah. because I enjoyed watching idiots arguing with each other. Yeah. <laughs> so there was yeah. there was something that captivated me seeing these two. Uh, it, it's usually a couple of like deadbeats or just people that didn't just look really too intelligent. People. Yeah. They're, what people? Trashy, classly, classless people. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. They're usually arguing over some something really petty or something really dumb. Yeah. Uh, almost always, they were like former friends or former lovers or something. Yeah. So I, I think, I think I just enjoyed seeing them at odds with each other. And then the part I really ate up uh, was always at the end where they would interview the two people <laughs> apart from each other, like after they got the verdict. And, yeah. and then you would hear from the loser to to see what their genuine thoughts were like that. Yeah, I ate that stuff up, man. Like I cared more <laughs> about that than about the actual like court proceedings. Justice at work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Um, yeah, did like did you ever like consume any legal fiction like? What's that one mango? Phoenix Wright, uh, Ace Attorney, or uh, <laughs> any of those Pelican briefs? You remember those books? Uh, I like, do not uh, remember Pelican briefs at all. L- let me look that up. The, like that, I feel like those were the lawyer versions of Tom Clancy books okay. at the time. Um, who's that by? Pelican I don't even Green. know how serious Ace Attorney was or is. Like I've never played any of those games. John Grisham. Okay, but yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh yeah, I've never played any of those Ace Attorney games, but uh, yeah. so I don't, I don't really know what they're like. I mean, I, I kind of know what the gameplay is like. It's kind of like a visual novel, from what I understand. And there's like little yeah. scenes where you investigate, investigate for clues and stuff to help build your case. Yeah, but uh, I've never actually played it myself, so I, I don't know uh, how much I can actually speak to that. As far as John Grisham stuff goes, no, I've, I was never interested yeah. in reading his books. I will say that, and maybe this is something about my personality, but there is, I think at the crux of like any legal drama, the thing that makes it work is one, it's, it's a lot of the drama is focused around argument making, right? So it's really about the ability to establish this long form story or a long form narrative where the culmination of it plays out in a way that once you get to the point of revelation, you're rewarded. You get that dopamine hit from everything that's been established up to that moment, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I do feel like that's a big part of legal dramas and what makes them work and not work. And yeah, uh, like we mentioned before, like it's. It's not something that we see too often in She-Hulk comics. I think 
for comics in general, it's kind of hard to do because I, I don't know. I don't maybe with all the injection of fisticuffs and stuff, it's just hard. I guess it's hard to imagine that they're able to make compelling arguments and build up that level of suspense over time. Like if, I'm just spitballing here, but I, yeah, I, I, I kind of wonder if that has something to do with it. Right. Cause if She-Hulk was a really good legal drama, then those scenes of her in a courtroom making uh, compelling arguments, that should be something that like, that like feeds you feeds your sense of enjoyment when you're experiencing the comic and i don't know that i get that from she hulk actually you yeah. know i don't get that from she hulk yeah maybe part of yeah. it is because most of the time when they do those stories with her she's always dealing with some kind of cape related incident or case you yeah. know like it yeah. there's always some kind of superheroic element injected into it that takes away from the grounded realism that you might see in a daredevil comic yeah so you know it it just wouldn't be the same where with she hulk let's say she's like defending thanos in court you know like there's already something inherently ridiculous about it it'd be hard to take seriously she could have her if the glove don't fit you must acquit kind of moment (laughs) when she's saying that he, he didn't use the infinity gauntlet to to wipe out half the universe, it was this or that or a, sim- a simulacrum or whatever, you know? Like yeah. One of the many clones of him that, that runs around. But, but um, man, like just doing no. that alone, you know, that it's just too silly. You, you can't, yeah. there's no way to do that For story sure. and, and have it be dramatic. Uh, I don't know. Now, now that you've posited it, it I, I kind of wonder if there is a way, you know? With Thanos? Like, like i don't know uh, this might not be the best example but something like the the trial of the dark phoenix or or you know <laughs> or something like that right where it's like i think on the uh you're you're citing claremont at me now dude you i think i feel like you've already lost this argument before you began yeah but but at the same time it's just you've got like... to take a good long look at yourself in the mirror tonight <laughs> and think about what you've done what have I done? <laughs> no, but I'm 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 being serious here. Like I, Claremont isn't a good writer, but I think just as a plot point, as uh, as as a as as purely as a synopsis, that that idea of putting the Dark Phoenix on trial for her crimes, that you know, that's not inherently an unworkable story. I mean, to be fair, his idea of a trial was for the Shi'ar to declare her guilty and then make the X-Men fight the Imperial Guard to the death in That's order true. to. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a real. That wasn't a real court proceeding at all. Yeah. <laughs> and now we fight. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh man, I I wanted to to uh, put this out there while we were. While while we're on the subject, as just uh, an anecdote of sorts, but uh, while in, in our lead up to to this episode, oddly enough, um, 
I got really hooked on the entire Alex Jones case because this really big, uh, I guess, event happened where Alex Jones, the guy who was a, a Sandy Hook denier, went to court and he's being sued at the moment. And what he ended up doing was um, they basically, as part of their court proceedings, asked him to uh, send over all the text that included any mention of Sandy Hook in his uh, texts. And, you know, under oath, he told them that he searched his phone and he found nothing. And in court, what it would be uh, prosecutors or, or I, I don't know what the term is, but the, the judge on offense, um, I guess the that's judge? the prosecutor. Or not judge, the lawyer, lawyer on offense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he ended up basically finding these text messages of uh, Alex Jones talking about the Sandy Hook shooting um, well, well after a certain time period. And the big revelation of it was that Alex Jones's lawyers through their own incompetence sent these sent like two years worth of text messages from their phone to to Alex Jones uh, I mean to the opposing lawyers uh, and now they had all this stuff uh, available to them to use as ammunition to basically you know mm-hmm. sink Alex Jones and I was like so into it I, w- I was watching like all this YouTube stuff from like different lawyers who were making commentary from like just watching the the entire thing play out it was all very dramatic but i found that more compelling than any of the legal drama that was going on in any of the she-hulk comics that i had read yeah so it's 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 a weird it was a weird coincidence but i i don't know it made me wonder why that drama was so compelling to me and why she hulk just failed to miss the mark because um, it's real man and then and then secondly you hate alex jones and that was alex yeah. jones you know getting screwed yeah you're right so what's not to enjoy you're right you're totally right it works on multiple so, levels man yeah yeah so there we go <laughs> we just need a story where she hulk takes alex jones to court <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The one other like court story that I remember that always like stuck with me was um Angel season 5. And that's I've talked about it a few times on the podcast, but it's the entire oh, premise God. This is Joss Whedon's Angel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But the entire premise of season 5 was um so actually the the build up to to Angel uh for his series is that one of his main antagonists is a law firm from hell so it's basically this law firm that exists on the mortal plane but they exist purely to prop up all of the world's evil you know and they do it by you know defending serial killers and murderers and like corporations and corrupt politicians stuff like that and Mm -hmm. The one twist in season five is uh, as a result of a deal that Angel makes at the end of season four, he is basically made the CEO of this law firm that he's been fighting for four seasons. And the the real like sinister twist to it is that right at the beginning of the show, they establish 
well, you're still trying to be this superhero. You're still trying to exist on street level, beating up like monsters and crooks and whatever. But you know what? We've given you the keys to the kingdom. You have all of our resources at your disposal. You're running this law firm. But that also means that the law firm has to succeed. So it becomes this show about him having him telling himself that I can reform this law firm and I can put its resources to good use. But it's a question of does the law firm end up corrupting him, right? So it's a really interesting like dynamic, but for whatever reason, that law show and you know, I, I use that term very loosely, but uh that law drama was something that at least yeah, that, that I grabbed you. It grabbed me. It's probably the best version of a fictional law show that I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from what I do know about law cases and uh, real trials and stuff, a lot of that stuff can be pretty dry to sit through. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, if, if you, yeah, even if you watch a court case play out on TV or if it's something that is recorded that you can watch on YouTube, there's a lot of periods where it's just people uh, reading stuff. Um, yeah, or maybe, citing laws or really yeah. obscure uh, procedures or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Real real cases are rarely as dramatic as movies and, and shows portray them out to be. Yeah. But I, I guess, you know, that's true of storytelling in general, where you always want to capture the most engaging or exciting elements of something no matter how overall boring it might be yeah i think with a she-hulk story there would be something interesting to see if they tried to tap into the realism of it and like what you were saying earlier about seeing some kind of slice of life play out in the charles soul run but Mm. instead of having her deal with um a paralegal assistant who has a super intelligent monkey, you know, just get rid of all the fantastical stuff and just, yeah, just make it more about uh, realistic cases that, uh, yeah. you know, that are pretty normal in and common. And it doesn't even have to be super cases, super cases. Yeah, exactly. It could just be a normal criminal case or heck, she could do like civil cases or something, you know? Yeah. I don't know what kind of law exactly she practices. It always just seems to fluctuate yeah. depending on uh, what the needs the, of the story are. Exactly. Like, yeah. I mean, it's weird because I feel like sometimes you see mentions of the She Hulk doing these uh, criminal cases or super criminal cases. And then sometimes she's trying to basically like do social work where she's helping helping a a poor person try and uh fight an eviction notice which was something that we saw in the marco tamaki run uh sometimes you see her dealing with like patent stuff it's like she does everything basically and i've never heard of any lawyer that that has like all all these disciplines (laughs) yeah exactly exactly right right so I feel like they should try to nail down like exactly what kind of law she knows or specializes in and then yeah like maybe center stories around that you know just to give her a little bit more focus otherwise they're just constantly doing these stories where 
anything goes and when anything goes it almost feels inconsequential yeah 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 man um i think that might be why most of my favorite she hulk stories don't really have any legal junk in them because they just focus on she hulk as a fun-loving big green woman who smashes stuff you know like the superheroic element is way easier to capture and you know you just have to they just have to write her with a fun personality and Mm -hmm. try and minimize any of the sexist stuff and it'll be fine you know like i think about the matt fraction and mike allred run on Mm -hmm. ff future foundation yeah when they did a team with with her on it like i can't say i remember specifically any highlight moments she had but i remember just overall having a blast with that cast of characters you know and she was right. a big part of it right right no you you're it's it's a weird conundrum to have because it feels like so much of her is uh, so much of her like being as 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 they represent her in the marvel universe is centered around the fact that she's a lawyer and um it's it says something that you're that a lot of your favorite story or not even favorite but the the stuff that you remember about her revolves around the fact revolves around the stuff where she's not a lawyer you know yeah and it it kind of reminds me of uh well one thought did come to mind while while i was uh watching some of the promo material for the she-hulk show was kevin feige talking about how oh yeah, you know, we take these shows as an opportunity to tell all kinds of stories and we're going to take She-Hulk to do a legal story, a legal, to, to show that we can do all these kinds of stories. So again, with, with the show that's coming out, it seems that, I mean, we've we've seen the footage already and we know that it's going to, there are going to be some scenes that take place in a courtroom, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it, it seems to be, you know the fact that she's a lawyer is is just something that they can't seem to separate from her um and i guess you'll ask a lot of creative uh uh you know writers or a lot of comic book writers what they would want to do with her it i don't know if it's an editorial thing or i don't know if it's like genuine from the writers themselves but they always seem to just go back to her being a lawyer i don't I don't think I can I've thought of a She-Hulk series where she wasn't one or that maybe that early Savage She-Hulk but again I didn't read that so I don't know how much of that took place in a law uh, in a courtroom and how much of it didn't mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. yeah it's 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 a weird uh position to be in I I guess that opens up the door for another question then like do you think you have an ideal she-hulk story or like if you were to have uh you know if you were to i envision uh the she-hulk story of your preference would it be what are some of the core themes or ideas uh that it would revolve around Man, I don't really think I have a She-Hulk story in my mind. Mm. Not the way that I have a Deathstroke story, you know? 
<laughs> right, right. I think with She-Hulk, she really is a character that I like more as a teammate or more as a cast member in an ensemble. Yeah. I I can't I don't have any ideas in my mind for a solo She-Hulk story. I think I'm I think maybe if I read something that that really blew me away or at the very least I thought was really good, maybe that could give me some inspiration as to some of the core elements or things about the character that make her really tick. Mm. Uh, but I just feel like as of right now, I just enjoy her because she's a big, strong, smashing machine, you know? <laughs> like, whether whether they do a story where she's, uh, how she looks normally, where she's just, you know, a big green woman, or if they do a story where she really hulks out and just becomes this massive monster, like, those are the things I'm about, you know, like where she's just part of a team smashing stuff and making wisecracks and then interacting with the team during their downtime. Like I'm, I'm pretty much content with that. Yeah. But as far as a, a solo story goes, I, I think even though I may not have a plot, I, I do think that if it were to zero in on her lawyerly aspects, I would want it to be more grounded. I would, I wouldn't want it to be all jokey and stuff. I'd want it to be. Yeah. I'd I'd want to take the law stuff a little bit more seriously, like not yeah. in the sense that it has to be boring, but I would try to make it so that, the, like, yeah, just what I was saying earlier, like give her some kind of specialization in her practice, so she's not just doing like random cases that you you just find left and right, but she's yeah. specifically out to accomplish certain things for certain types of clients. Like that, yeah. to me, starts. that's where it starts to make sense. And then you can give her a little focus, give her some direction. Uh, and I also think if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to do a law story, I'm going to remove all the smashing stuff, you know? Like, I, I would want to take away all the superheroic stuff. I mean, that's never going to work because that's not how Marvel Comics makes comics. You always have to have action. But, yeah, I, I guess ideally... If if I weren't if I were to do a She-Hulk lawyer kind of s series, then it would just be a law series, man. Like there'd yeah. be minimal minimal smashing. Right, right. Okay, okay. Yeah, I think talking about it with you now, um, you know, uh, over over the course of uh, you know the hour and change that we've been discussing it, um, that idea did occur to me as well. It'd be cool to see her you know in her element just really thriving as a lawyer as opposed to you know what what would she well i want to see she hulk emancipate dr doom's ward like i don't know there's it's <laughs> <laughs> you didn't like that story i mean i liked it because javier polito's art but just the i think maybe that's the element of it that kind of spoiled these She-Hulk stories where it's these people coming up with weird cases that can only exist in the Marvel universe, right? Where it's like, well, let's let's take people's powers or their circumstances and find a way to 
uh, transform that into some sort of legal case that we can build a drama around. And I don't know that I don't know that that's the way in for me. I don't actually I don't think that's the way in for me at all. Um, mm -hmm. Like s saying it out loud right now, I guess I can see what they're doing. You know, it's 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 essentially branding these legal stories with uh, Marvelisms. You know, but yeah. but yeah, I was talking with you about it over over this this past hour. Or so um, I'd I'd probably rather see her take on like real crime, you know, yeah, or or real or a real case that doesn't involve uh, super powered people. That would be more interesting to me. Like. Like you know, a story about her becoming like a public defender or something, or becoming uh, a prosecutor. I don't know, like something. Yeah, more grounded in reality would definitely be. Oddly enough, that would be the thing that would take more balls, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like. Yeah, the impulse is to lean into the sensationalism of it all, and I think. If they just made a purely good legal story, that would be more than enough. Um, yeah, man. I am interested in the current She-Hulk series by Rainbow Rowell. I oh. haven't read any of it yet, but I think when the library gets it, I'm I'm definitely gonna seek it out. <clears throat> yeah, it's purely yeah. based on the other work of hers that I've read. Uh, Runaways was excellent. Yeah. So. I'd be pretty curious to see what she does with She-Hulk. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think the other problem that we mentioned earlier was the sexism inherent with a lot of the stories that we, we've read. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, definitely it would help uh, to see another story written by a woman to see what her perspective is on the character. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, her Runaways was great. Uh, she did Pumpkin Heads with Faith Aaron Hicks, which is another great comic. Mm -hmm. I haven't read any of her prose books, but yeah, just based on the other two things of hers I've read, I'm I'm pretty optimistic for Hershey Hulk. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you mention Rainbow Roll because I think I've been pondering it for for this episode. I've been pondering like what my ideal She-Hulk story would be. And I I think I came up with uh I think I came up with a premise that works for me. Uh, okay. which is I think She-Hulk actually works better as like a young adult comic. Uh where again it, it it's it's another thing where it's more grounded in reality. Um but it might even be a thing where you remove the law aspect altogether and it's just about her it's it's a slice of life stories revolving around her and there's like so much material there in she-hulk that's rife for exploration you know just the idea of what it means to like deal with changes within your yourself you know and so what, you would use her as a vehicle to tell stories about puberty or something no, I, I just meant self-exploration. Oh, uh, okay. Just, I was you know, thinking purely physical. <laughs> yeah, you were. And uh, <laughs> we just talked about sexism in comics, true. I know. 
<laughs> no, but I was, I was, I mean, if someone wanted to do a story where they wanted to use that as the the vehicle to explore that, I, I wouldn't be against it. I, I actually think that would be interesting. But, you know, outside of that, there's a lot of uh, material there to explore emotional growth and maturity and just changes in, you know, your emotional health. Um, so I do yeah. think if someone, you know, Marvel is always trying to find ways to get into that YA market. I, I do think she's a character. That deal with Scholastic. Yeah, I, I think she's one of the characters that would work for it. And I, I do think that gimmick of like her breaking the fourth wall could work for something like that, too. You know, so it could. I still wouldn't want them to do that. Eh, I don't have a huge problem with it. I don't need them. I don't want her to be super jokey or anything like that, like because comedy is hard to do, and more often than not, when you try really hard to do comedy and it fails, people can feel it failing. So yeah, most people aren't that funny, so it's it's pretty tough. Yeah. Like if if there were to be a comedic She-Hulk book, I I think I'd want Mark Russell to do that. Yeah, that'd be cool. Actually, actually, that's that's a really good, that's a really good interesting choice I, it would I think... it would either have to be mark russell or chips darsky because i think they're probably like the two funniest comic yeah. book writers i can think of right now yeah that's i think mark russell would be an excellent choice because he, he has a lot to say about you know sexism in society and like you know just mm-hmm. she hulk's role in all that you know so I, yeah. I think that'd be a real interesting choice but definitely yeah like I could imagine a YA comic where, you know, it's it, it's about her and the things that are happening around her, and they could, like I said, they could still do that gimmick where she occasionally talks to us, the viewers, and yeah, I I, I don't I don't have a problem with that device in and of itself, but yeah. you know how DC has their line of YA graphic novels. I think if Marvel did something along those lines, like if those Scholastic books that they're working on, they turned out like those DC books, you know, we would, we could have that kind of variety where you you take these established characters in their stable and uh, they don't have to be as famous as Batman or Superman or whatever. Exactly. They can can just be a, a lower tier character that's not as famous and doesn't have as many stories and just you know take some of the elements of that character and tell a new story a youthful story so that that would totally work you know like you wouldn't have to do an origin where jennifer walters gets hit in a drive-by shooting by a bunch of gangsters and needs a blood transfusion you know you can just do something different and i don't know like a even like a teenage story or or a story where she's in in law school learning about yeah. all the stuff that she needs to know to be a lawyer yeah. something like that would be a pretty that's, worthwhile yeah. YA graphic novel that's exactly what i was thinking i was i was pondering it and i was like thinking you know marvel's constantly trying to expand into these different areas but it it always feels like they're um plan or gimmick and and dc is guilty of this too but you know by expanding into a ya uh sector all they're doing is doing a ya version of spider-man 
or a YA version of Batman or something like that. But there are characters that they have in their uh, you know backbench that they could totally use that would perfectly fit for these kinds of stories. And I think She-Hulk is one of them. Um, yeah. She, you know. I'm not those... saying... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, because with those, a lot of those DC YA graphic novels, that's what they do. They just take these characters and, and reimagine them into different settings. They're, they're basically like Elseworlds, but aimed at a more youthful audience. Yeah, exactly. Albert, what are the most disrespectful things people have done with She-Hulk? Oh, man. Remember one of the most famous John Byrne stories revolved around the fact that she was sunbathing nude? And uh, these paparazzi took pictures of her and were going to leak it to the press. And that was like, that was like a big story point for John Byrne. So, you know, for people who want to cite something as an example of just how gross John Byrne is, the fact that he did a story like that should be pretty telling in and of itself. <laughs> John Byrne does love his TNA. salacious kind of stories. Wasn't he the dude that did that story where... Superman and Big Barda got caught filming a porn scene. Did he do that? Was that him? Or am I thinking of somebody else? They were it brainwashed. Wouldn't, but it I remember kind of doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll have to I have to Google that. That's uh pretty gross. I don't know who okayed that. I don't know who <laughs> thought that that was an acceptable story to tell. I really don't. Yeah, it's a pretty dumb idea. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? What you got? The things I thought of was that time when Chuck Austin was writing Uncanny X-Men and he had She-Hulk sleep with Juggernaut. I remember that. That's <laughs> <laughs> That was pretty childish. And it became a running joke for like years after that. It felt like every writer had to come up with some sort of take on it that either erased it or tried to play it down or something, you know? It was yeah, just... yeah. It it's, became a big running joke. I think I want to say Dan Slott or Peter David, one one of those two, if not both of them, directly addressed it in one of their comics. And then somebody else like would come back and contradict yeah. that contradiction, you know? Yeah. It became it just, it just became a, a stupid mess. Yeah, exactly. At that point, it's just like instead of trying to explain it away, you've just you've just made it more convoluted. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, I guess that's another thing about Tree Hulk where it's sexist in the way that a lot of the writers over the years have made her have so many different love interests. And like yeah. there was a story where I think because I think she had recently slept with Tony Stark or something. And and then they had this conversation where she was like, how come, you know, she's talking to Tony Stark and she says to him something like, how come you sleep with all these models and other women and everybody thinks you're cool and stuff, but I sleep with Juggernaut, and not all of a sudden I'm a slut. Yeah, I mean, it's just it is weird things to commentary, it. Commentary, I guess. Like, yeah, it does it does make you question why that's the logic, right? Yeah, but it also makes you question why did they make her sleep with Juggernaut, Juggernaut and all these the other random place. characters? Yeah, she yeah. she slept with like a ton of characters in Marvel comics. Yeah. It's hard to ignore, but it feels like that's a big part of her, like, quote-unquote, character, <laughs> which is 
pretty flimsy, I guess, uh, 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 a pretty flimsy character, not trait. flaw, but characteristic to yeah. have. You yeah. Know, it's, it's, I don't know. It's, that's super, it feels like that's super sexist to, to be like, yeah, that's, that's her characteristic is uh, she sleeps around. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like... I, I don't, yeah, I don't. Why, don't why would think... they make that one of the defining elements of her? Yeah. Yeah. It felt like it felt like everyone that's ever drawn her has made her attractive, which she clearly is. But the, the it felt like for them the natural progression of that was well, if she's attractive, then like uh, what other way can we portray her except to be just this sex sex hungry uh, you know maniac or whatever? And yeah, I, I, yeah, that's not. It's not a version of She-Hulk that does anything or says anything. Like, you know what? I, I might even go so far as to say if someone did have something intelligent to say, I might say a, about sexuality, then like I might give them the the room to like portray her that way. But no one so has. Far, yeah, so far nobody has. Yeah, it's all re- reduced to just yeah she likes to she likes to pork a lot of dudes <laughs> I don't know what those groans are meant to indicate but <laughs> you're making me laugh thanks, yeah, so there we go. you know do you remember the illusion that they made to her in old man Logan? yeah, I do that was uh, uh... <laughs> So old man Logan takes place in a dystopian future where all this, you know, where America and the world is just devastated and there are just pockets of communities that are left over. And one of them, it follows the story of an older version of Wolverine, old man Logan. And it starts out with him uh, living this quiet life on a farm and he's hassled by this gang of hulks. And what we discover, I think, fairly early on is that these hulks are all a product of an incestuous relationship between Bruce Banner and She-Hulk because the Hulk is just such a massive entity that <laughs> the only person that he could have relations with is She-Hulk because he would destroy anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Mark Miller, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, Mark and that's Miller. why all all these hulks that were running around were were, were hillbillies. They're all yokels. Yeah. yeah, they're all yokels and hillbillies. <laughs> that's pretty messed up. That yeah, is pretty messed up. Mark Miller, he's a he's a card. Oh man, anything else? You anything else on your list? Nope, that's about it. What about yeah. you? Or do you have any general or final thoughts about She Hulk? No, not really. I mean, I guess I will say that watching the trailer, it it did look like there's a potential for it to be entertaining enough uh, as it could a show. Be like a sitcom with a law firm setting. Yeah, exactly. It it now that you mention it, it does feel something like an Ally McBeal or something that I know we just spent like you know two hours ragging on the idea of uh, a, a jokey 
Jennifer Walters as a lawyer, but I guess because it's, I don't know, there's something about seeing it as a TV show that makes it less eye-rolling, I guess, or less annoying, um, Mm -hmm. where after watching the trailer, I was like, you know what? If it can make me crack a smile, if it can be entertaining in its own way, then I'll take it. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't have to be quite so hard on it. Sure. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So this is an example of us kind of being wishy-washy on, on what we want <laughs> out of a She-Hulk show. But, <laughs> well, to be fair, we were talking about She-Hulk comics when we were talking about our ideal She-Hulk stories, right? At least I was thinking of comics. I was, yeah. Yeah, my, that's true. My standards was, for was... television are far lower than my standards for comics. That's a good point. That's a good point. You, you, uh, yeah, I, I, I think you've summed that up perfectly accurately. Uh, so, so maybe the TV show might just hit that mark and it doesn't feel like it's anything that's going to be sexist in any real offensive way, but yeah, I don't know. Not. I mean, yeah, I hope not. I think the director, the show director is a woman. So yeah. hopefully uh, you know, she'd have the tasteful. sense not to make it super sexist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, that's all I got, man. If uh, anyone has anything to contribute to the conversation, by all means, you know, hit us up on our Instagram. Feel free to email us at between the gutters podcast at gmail.com or DM us at between the gutters on Instagram or on Twitter. You know, we want to hear from you. If you're, uh, if you enjoyed what you listened to, then you know, please uh, rate us as highly as possible on whatever platform you happen to be listening to us on, and uh, you know, share. We're trying to grow, and uh, we just want to get the good word out. That's right. And next week for our next episode, we are continuing our monthly read through of Mobile Suit Gundam: The Origin. Next week we'll be reading Volume Eight. So we hope to see you there. Thanks for listening, everybody. This is Between the Gutters, signing off. Peace. Bye, Bye guys.